Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come and we open up your word, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. I pray that you would take these words and things that I've got prepared to say, Lord, and you would just make them really, really awesome. Uh, Lord, make a masterpiece out of this, Lord. Lord, right now we just are going to submit ourselves to you, uh, Lord, and we are prepared to hear. So thank you so much. Thank you for this place and this time. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, last week, there... Moses is talking to this next generation of Israelites, and he's preparing them to go. And we've been talking about this kind of over and over, and it's a little repetitive, but hey, who doesn't have to hear something more than one time before it gets in there? Um, And so Moses, he tells them that, yes, your parents, they were on the precipice of going into the promised land, and God said, go in, and they looked in, and they saw all the scary obstacles and things that were in their way, and they're like, you know, God... I think we're not going to go in there. We're, it's, it's too overwhelming. We're not going to be able to do it. And so God said, okay, now you can wander around until you die, um, essentially. And that's what they did. They wandered around until that entire generation passed away. But there was another generation that was rising up that he was going to actually take and send in. And that's who we're at. But last week, he also said that, yes, okay, your, your parents wandered around uh, until they died because they were disobedient to what I was calling them to do. But what was the purpose of all of these kids? You know, there were some kids that were alive at the time that are now like 59 years old and and a little bit younger. What was the purpose of all of them to have to wander around with their parents as well? And Moses reminded them last week, he said, um, God did that for your sake so that he could humble and test you. Humble and test you because he said, you're going to go in and you're going to inherit. I'm going to give to you all kinds of houses and cities and crops and and fields and olive uh, groves and and vineyards, none of which you built or planted, but I'm going to give to you. And I never want you to think that you have all of this because you're amazing or awesome, but because I gave it to you. So he's They spend all that time out in the wilderness so God can can humble them and test them. And I heard one pastor put it like this. He said, all people are like tea bags. You don't really know what's on the inside until you get in some hot water. Right? Does that make sense? You don't really know what's on the inside of a tea bag until you stick it in the hot water. So kind of what he was saying is, I want to know what kind of tea bags you all are, so I'm going to allow some hot water to come into your stomach, some obstacles and some things that you're going to have to see, because when you're in the hot water, that's when you know what's really on the inside. So maybe some of you aren't tea drinkers. Anybody here not a tea drinker? <laughs> well, I have a couple of samples for you here, just so to see which one you are. English breakfast tea. Um, It's dark and bitter. (laughs) Are you English breakfast tea? Are you dark and bitter? This one one is uh, Assam tea, strong and malty. If you think about yourself in terms of what kind of tea bag, are you strong and malty? I don't know. No, I don't know how the malty part translates, but 
organic chamomile, gentle and soothing. When you get into hot water, are you gentle and soothing? I'm just going to set this dark and bitter one aside because I feel like we're going to come back to that one. (laughs) This is my favorite. I I think this is the one that I am when I get into hot water. Sweet and spicy. (laughs) All right, sweet and spicy. Anybody feel like they're maybe sweet and spicy? (laughs) Just me. I just think it's a good question to ask yourself, what kind of teabag am I? When I find myself in hot water and what really is inside comes out, what comes out? Dark and bitter, sweet and spicy. All right, chapter 9, Deuteronomy. Verse 1, it says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to possess the nations greater and mightier than yourself, greater, uh, a great and cities great and fortified up to heaven. He says right here in verse one, he's got them all gathered and he says, today you're to go in. Now I want to tell you, actually doesn't mean like today. He doesn't mean like after I'm done talking in the next couple of minutes, you're going to go in. But really what he is saying is there is coming a determined and specific time, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's today. Um, I understand this because lots of times I'll use this phrase. I'll say, oh, I saw Cesar just the other day. Well, I don't mean yesterday, necessarily. I might mean a month ago. But it was on a specific day that I did see him. And so it's kind of similar where where Moses is getting them ready. He's like, today you're going in. There is coming a specific day. You're going in. But then he says to them, again, there are, you're going to go and dispose, dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. I mean... There's a part of me that thinks that they must be thinking, okay, we get it. They're greater and they're mightier than us. And it starts to feel maybe a little bit repetitive, but I think there's more to this. Yes, I think that God wants to continue to remind them, you're not going in and dispossessing the people in this land because you're incredible or awesome. They're better than you. They're bigger than you. They're more mightier than you. You're going in because I'm going in before you. But there's something else there. He keeps repeating this, and there's something there. God, literally, I think he pointed something to me this week when I was looking at this, and he said, look, I want them to know that I know that they're afraid. I know what they're afraid of. They're looking into the land, and they're seeing, but there are obstacles there that are bigger than us, that are mightier than us, and I'm afraid. And God says, I want you to know that I know that. I want you to know that I know that you have obstacles in your life and that I see them, God says. I'm not ignorant to it. I'm not brushing them aside. I know you are afraid. I know I see them the way you see them, mightier, greater than you, bigger obstacles than you can take, than you can handle. I want you to know that I know that. And he repeats it to them over and over. And I don't always think that it's just a chastising saying, you're not as great as maybe you think you are. I think he's saying also, I know. I know you're afraid. And I know what you're afraid of. I don't want you to think that I'm ignorant to the fact that you are afraid of these great and mighty people and fortified cities. I haven't forgotten that you see it this way. I mean, do, do you ever find yourself in that place where you're like, God, you're God. Nothing is a problem to you, but I'm not God. I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid. You ever find yourself there? It's just me. Just me and, and Jan and Ernest. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes you think, well, I, I mean, God doesn't understand that. He's God. He created the universe. He holds the whole thing together in the palm of his hand by his sheer will. How could he possibly know how I'm feeling? And God says, no, I know. I know. I know. He says, and, and great and tall are the descendants of the Anakim who you know and whom you heard it said. Who could stand before the descendants of Anakim? Again, he's saying, I know what it is that you say you're facing. I totally get it. Therefore, understand. That word understand in Hebrew, it means, and you know. So he says, therefore, you know today the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. Now, that's an interesting phrase that he puts right there. In context of what I'm talking about, when he says, I know, in, verses, uh, in verse 2, 1 and 2, he's saying, I know what you're afraid of. I'm not dismissing it. I know it. Therefore, so, there, the, therefore is so that you look back and say, why is that, why is that therefore? That's, that works. He says, I, I, I know you're, I know, I want you to know that I know you're afraid. Therefore, know that the Lord your God goes before you. He goes before you. But then he says, before you as a consuming fire, which is so interesting because I've always thought of it as like, he's just going to go in like a fire and consume up the nations that live there and just clear the land for them. But you know what? I don't know that that's what that means. Actually, maybe. But those are the same words, a consuming fire, that God uses to describe himself in chapter, I don't know, what was it, four? Where he says he is a jealous God, an all-consuming God. And that was in relationship to his people. He's saying, I'm jealous for you, not I'm jealous of you, but I'm jealous for you, meaning I want all of you. I'm a consuming fire, meaning I don't want to share you. I want to consume all of you. And he says to them, you can trust me because I go in before you and I'm a consuming fire, meaning I want all of you. And God spoke to me this message. He says that if you really want victory over the things that you're afraid of, you cannot hold anything back from God. You give him it all and he will consume all of your fear, all of your fear. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Have you ever been in a situation where you're just like anxiety ridden about some particular situation in your life and you just don't know how to handle it? And we normally do that because we, we don't know how to figure out the answer. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know. I just got laid off and it's Christmas and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know what I'm going to do about this relationship or situation or whatever it is. I don't know how to figure it out and it's tearing me up and I'm in a knot. But then you come to the place where he's like, God, I do trust you. Your word says that you go before me. Your consuming fire means you want all of me, even my anxiety-ridden self and my problems. So here you go. Here you go, God. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I don't get it. But I feel the peace of God. 
we would say that that's a piece I don't understand. And, the, and God would say, you're right. It's a piece that passes understanding. That's what the Bible calls it. God says, I'm a consuming fire. If you want victory, don't hold anything back from me. Give me all of it and I will consume it and go before you. He says, he will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Man, I mean, if you're sitting here and you're just like, you know, like, how am I going to get these Christmas cards done? And Christmas is is, uh, Saturday. And I haven't even started to label them. And, and, and even something like that, God is like, just give it to me. Just give it to me. And send your Christmas cards out after Christmas. Who cares? Yeah. Someone's going to get your Christmas card on like the 30th and be like, they don't really love me. <laughs> this isn't going on my refrigerator or the string or whatever it is that you have to hold up your... They're just like, nope, this one's going right over here in my came late file. <laughs> if they're doing that, man, they're not keeping track. Don't worry about it. It's crazy the things at Christmas time that stress you out, isn't it? Christmas lights. I tested them all before I put them out. All of them. And still half a string is out. I gave it to God, and now I have a piece about it, clearly. Do not think in your heart. Now listen, verse 4. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into the possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Once again, Moses is saying, because God is reminding him, please remind them that once they go in and I've driven out all the enemies out of the land, that it wasn't because they're awesome. Remind them again. Why does he need to remind them again? Like, how many times have we read this? I mean, it feels like all last week is this what we talked about. But even before that, God was saying, look, it's not because you're so amazing. It's not because you're the biggest people, not because you're the mightiest people. In fact, you're all the opposite of that. He's telling them once again, he's reminding them that. Why do you think? Uh, Because there's still a little part of them in there that goes like, I totally get it. But I think maybe it's a little bit to do with me. I mean... I mean, I'm not awesome, but maybe I'm like just a little bit awesome. And, you know, maybe God, you know, God could have chose anybody. He chose us. He chose me. And God is like, all right, let me just remind you one more time that I am using you because you're here. Because look what he says. It's because of the wickedness of the people that are there that I'm trying to move out. And because I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And so he's saying it's not because, of, it's not because you're amazing. In fact, he's not saying it's not because of your uh, of great ability. It's because of your availability. You're literally, you're right here and I'm going to use you as a tool. Now I'm doing something, he says, I'm doing something in your lives, but I'm also using you as a tool to accomplish something else in their uh, life. And I'm keeping my promise to your descendants, to your forefathers as well. Not because you're awesome. 
I, sometimes I think that we've just become such a, a, a me-focused generation. I think it's always been that way now that I look back. I mean, uh, it's just because I live in this one that I can clearly see and look around and say, man, we really care about ourselves quite a bit. I mean, selfies, come on. But if they had phones back then, the Israelites, they'd be walking around <laughs> selfieing. Selfieing, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's. I think that's just the way that people are. We're, we're just like, well, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not about me, but it's not about me. <laughs> it is not because of your righteousness or the unrighteousness of your heart that you go in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you, that He may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to, Ibr- to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, verse 6, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you the good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are stiff-necked people. Not only are you not awesome, you're this thing, stiff-necked. Stiff-necked, it literally just means difficult. It means you're a difficult person. Do you guys know any difficult people? Ah, uh, some of you laugh because some of you are like. <laughs> Stiff-necked is kind of a Bible term, isn't it? You know, we see it all the time in the Bible because they, they understood it. It was a word that they understood. It literally was a word that they would say that, like, I've got two ox, o- oxen, oxes, two of those. And, and they're in a yoke right here. And the way that you would steer an ox and get him to go in the way you wanted to go is you would take an ox goad, which was a stick with a metal point on the end, and you would, like, stick it. And if you wanted him to go forward, you would stick him kind of in the rear in the back of his legs. But if you wanted him to go left or go right, you would goad him in the neck. Remember when, when Jesus meets uh, uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, and he says, it's, it's hard for you to kick against the goad, Right? That means he's saying, it's hard for you to go in the direction that I want you to go. You want to go in your own direction. This is where this comes from. But they would take this goad and they would stick the ox in the neck to say, go this way or go that way. Well, if an ox was stiff-necked, it meant that he would get stuck with the goad, but he wouldn't go that way. He would go in whatever direction he wanted to go. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me when I'm looking at how this was referred to the people of Israel right here. He says, you are stiff-necked. You refuse to go in the direction that God wants you to go. Maybe it's because maybe the ox just gets stuck so many times that he starts to develop a callus there, right? And not only is he stiff-necked, but he's got like a hardened kind of callus right there. Well, how easy can that happen to you? God keeps on saying, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to go here. And you keep on saying, I don't think so. I don't think so. Pretty soon, you don't even feel that goat anymore. Pretty soon, you're on your own making decisions for yourself, and you get way out here. You do exactly what we've been talking about not to do, is that you forget the ways of the Lord. Remember, you set them aside. And what happens, the Bible says, when you do that, you drift away. So one day, you find yourself way out in the middle of nowhere thinking, man, do, man why is God so far from me? Because you drifted away. God is right over there where he's always been. You drifted away. You became stiff-necked. You're not open to his leading. 
He says, you are a stiff-necked people. I lost my place. Where were we? <laughs> what chapter are we in? Thank you. Remember. <laughs> That's ironic. Verse 7. Remember. Don't forget. <laughs> so now, he's using both now. Remember and don't forget. You need both? You need both of those. They mean different things. Remember, 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 remember means remember. But forget, don't forget means don't intentionally set it aside. Remember, he says, remember how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness. Remember it. Don't set that aside because it's useful to you. If you don't remember, if you have forgotten, if you've set it aside and you aren't remembering it, you are doomed to do it again and again. Remember, don't forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Do you remember, we talked about this when we went through Exodus, how long it took them to start complaining from the time that God brought them out of, over, out of Egypt and crossed over the Jordan, how long it took them to start complaining? Three days. Three days. And they already started to complain and complain. And, uh, and, and the Lord is saying, okay. Three days. Also, he says, in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. We're going to go into this a little more, but Horeb was the, at the base of the mountain where Moses came down and they had built a golden calf, right? He brings this up. He goes, when I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the Lord, that, uh, stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you. And then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone. Now, really what he's doing here, all this, several of the next verses, he's reviewing the history. So he says, remember and don't forget, but in case you did, I'm going to walk you through it right now. And remember, some of them, most of them were, he's talking about their parents, but many of them were alive and they were children. So they remember. He goes, then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. You have to remember this, and if you weren't with us when we went, to, went through Exodus, this is what happened is God called Moses up on the mountain. He says, look, I'm going to give them all of my commandments. I'm going to shout them out loud from this mountaintop while it burns with fire. So go down and tell everybody to get ready. They got three days to get ready to come to the base of the mountain, and I'm going to speak my commandments to them. And so Moses goes down, and he tells everybody this, and they all gather up at the base of the mountain, and then God comes with smoke and fire on the top of the mountain, and he literally speaks the Ten Commandments to them, and they all hear them. We've covered this in Exodus. They hear all the words. They hear the words of the Lord spoken by the Lord from the, from the mountaintop out of the fire, and they all are like, okay, 
We hear everything that you're saying and we agree to do all of it. Please stop talking to us because I think I'm going to die. And that's literally what it says. They go to Moses and say, we can't take any more of it. And so we know without any question and without any shadow of a doubt that they heard the, the commandments of God spoken to them before he ever went to the mountain to bring down the two tablets of stone. So just know that. If you weren't here when we did it, just know that that is what happened. They have no excuse. None of them can say, well, I can't, I don't read Hebrew. You know, they, they heard the words with their own ears and agreed to it before any of this tablets of stone or golden calf ever happened. And it came to pass, verse 11, that at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And then the Lord said to me, arise and go down quickly from here for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted correctly. Right? I can hear you start to laugh a little bit. Do you see that? What God is doing? Your people. That, you know when you come home, you know there's trouble when you come home and your wife comes and you goes, do you know what your children did? Well, there are children, I thought, and I don't think I want to know. But see, God, God is like, he comes to Moses and he goes, your people that you brought out of Egypt go down because they, have, they are acting corruptly and they have turned aside. They have quickly turned aside from the way in which I commanded them and they have made from themselves a molded image. <laughs> God speaks to them from the mountain and gives them all of these commandments in a very impressive way, frankly. Then he calls Moses up. He goes, I want you to have a written record as well. And so Moses goes up and he's there and he stresses the point, I was there 40 days. 40 days, like six weeks, I was gone. And in that short amount of time, those people were like, hmm, you know what we should do? We should abandon all that God said and we should gather up all of our gold and we should make a calf and we should worship that within 40 days and probably less. It probably took a couple of days for Moses to just walk up there. That's a quick amount of time that they were turned away from the very things that God had said. These are the things that you are to do. These are the things that you are not to do. And they're like, yes, we agree. 40 days later, they're like, how about making a calf to bow down to? Does that sound good to you guys? Man. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. God's calling them stiff-necked now. Let me alone, he says to Moses. Hold me back, Moses. Hold me back that I may destroy them and blot out their name under heaven and I will make a nation mightier and greater than uh, I will. Uh, uh, I, uh, let me alone that I may destroy and blot out their names from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater, greater than they. <laughs> he says, you know what? Moses, I'm just going to kill don't talk to me anymore. I'm just going to wipe them all out. They've so transgressed. I'm going to wipe them all out. And you know what I'll do? I'll take you, Moses, and I'll make a new nation starting with you. 
Now there's a real, first of all, God could do this if he wanted to. God could do it because he would not be breaking his promise if he created a new nation out of Moses. It still would be the promise of descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he wouldn't be breaking his promise by doing that. He could do it. He would be within his rights to do it. He also would not be breaking his promise. But I actually don't think that's what he t- intends to do. I think what God wants to do is he wants to see just what kind of a person Moses is. What kind of teabag is Moses? What's going to come out when, the, when he's in the hot water? You know, he, because look how tempting this is for Moses. It's like, hmm. God, let me get this straight. What you're saying is I could be rid of all of these pain in the stiff neck people and we could start over with me. Hmm. But that's not what he does, right? God wanted to see what kind of leader, what kind of shepherd is this Moses really going to be? Is he going to selfishly accept my offer of starting over and being rid of these people? Or is he going to plead on their behalf? And we know what happens, but this is what he says. He says, so I, I turned and I came down from the mountain and the mountain burned with fire and the two tablets of stone were in my hands. And so it's an interesting little side note that God adds there, the mountain was still burning. you understand that? For 40 days, there's been fire on top of the mountain, and yet that was not enough. The burning fire presence of God on the top of this mountain was not enough to deter these people down at the bottom from turning away from at least two of the commandments that God had just given them and build a golden calf and worship that. The fire, fiery presence on the mountaintop for 40 days straight was not enough. What happened there? What happened? I have to ask myself, like, did, did, did they not see, did it just become their new normal? Did the fiery presence of God, the, the, the mountaintop on fire, become so blasé to them, the new normal, that they just started to take for granted the fact that when I get up this morning, the mountaintop will be on fire? Because it has been for the last 40 days and nothing else has really changed. And I think that you and I would think, well, If we saw some kind of fiery, amazing miracle of God going on on a regular daily basis, I would not take that for granted, right? Sunrise, sunset. Whoops is right. I mean, do you know that thing goes up and down every single day? It does. And I don't have anything to do with it, and neither do you. And I usually don't even realize it unless I'm sitting down at Naples Beach and I'm watching it go down, and I'm like, and we all clap for God when it goes down. And some people feel silly. It's like, it's the sunset. It happens every day. Have we lost the fact? Has it become our new normal? Do we take for granted the sun will always set? The sun will always rise. That doesn't have anything to do with God. I don't know. I don't know. While you're at the beach and you're watching the sun set, you know the ocean only comes about to there. It only comes to there. Well, Why? Why doesn't it go all the way in? Why doesn't it wash into the streets? Why doesn't it go wherever the ocean wants to go? It's water. Have you ever had a leak in your house? Anybody, Jeff? Mm-hmm. I remember the whole plumbing thing. You can't stop water. If you have a leak in your house, it could be dripping there from a leak over there. 
Water just goes wherever it wants to go, and yet you go to the beach and it stops right there. Why? Because God said, you can't go any further than that. It says in Job, he says, I determine where the ocean stops. I do it. When you go to the beach and you're watching the water wash in and wash out and the tide go in, you go out like, oh, well, that's just how it works. That's just how it works. That's actually how God works. God raises the sun and sets the sun. God determines that the ocean only comes so far. Man, it's so easy for us to get caught up in some kind of a, a new understanding or, a, or a, the, a loss of understanding. They had lost in just 40 days the awe of God. And it was there in front of them. Why do we do this? Why do we take things that are, are God's miracles and just attribute them to everyday things? Many years ago, it's tons of time. <laughs> Many years ago, when my wife and I decided it was time to start a family, we discovered that uh, we couldn't do it. There were some medical issues in our lives that wouldn't allow us to have a baby biologically. Just wouldn't happen. And I won't go into the details, but medically speaking and biologically speaking, it was not possible for us to have a baby. Uh, and um, I don't say this in a way that's like, well, so then we decided to adopt because my adopted daughter is here. But I want you to understand that it was always part of the plan as we were starting our family, Okay. So we then full on pursued that. And we were able to go to China and adopt my daughter and she's here and she's amazing most of the time. <laughs> and it was wonderful and she was little and fun and for five years it was just the three of us. And then five years after we came home with Marin, my wife Deirdre ends up pregnant. And that was a weird moment because when she ended up pregnant, I was like, what? <laughs> and I was a little bit mad because I was like, well, it's not going to work. It's happened before. It's not going to work. And I was mad. But there's Joanna. <laughs> She's 11. It worked. Now, Almost without fail, when I tell that story, and if I've told it to you and this has been your response to me, I forgive you, and it's okay. When I tell this story, I said, well, we, you know, we couldn't have a baby, so we, uh, I ended up adopting a really wonderful, really charming, beautiful uh, little baby. Um, but then, five years later, we were able to get pregnant, and without fail, people always say, you know, I hear that all the time. <laughs> you know, like all the pressure's off, you're not thinking about it, and I hear that happen all the time. Gang, that's a miracle. Amen. How quickly do we just be like, ah, that, you know, that's, it's, you weren't stressed or whatever. It's just like, why do we take that miracle and we yank it away from God and we give it to some other silly, whatever? Why do we do that? Do you believe that God still does miracles? Yes. Amen. A part of it comes from we are starting to lose maybe the awe of God. The understanding that there is a God who created everything and he is still involved. He didn't be like, here we go. Let's see how that works out. <laughs> He's in it. He's involved. They had lost it. They had within just 40 days, they had lost this, the awe of God and they turned to idol worship. 
It says that Moses came down in verse 17. I took the two tablets and I threw them out of my hands and they broke before your eyes. You know what he's saying there is like, it wasn't come down and I didn't just throw them down because I was mad. I threw them down to show you I didn't break these commandments of God. You did. You broke them. Now, in verse 18 and verse 19, they're not in chronological order. Moses is retelling the story of what had happened back in Exodus. So what he says is, I fell down before the Lord at the first, as in the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all of your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure for which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. So he is saying, this is what I eventually did on, the, on behalf of that situation. Situation. It's not in chronological order in this retelling, but then the next part is. We're going to come back to this 18 and 19 in a minute. And he says, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that time. This is a little bit new information for us because we don't learn that God was specifically angry with Aaron in the Exodus account, but he was. And why? Well, Aaron, Moses' brother, was left in charge. Aaron, Moses said, okay, Aaron, you're in charge of all these people. I got to go up and I got to get the tablets. And uh, so Aaron is there. And see, what happened was somewhere within that 40 days, the people came to Aaron and they said, uh, we don't know where your brother is. I'm not sure he's coming back. It's been 40 days. I mean, you know, we spent our whole life in Egypt in bondage, but you know, 40 days, that's too long to wait. Um, we don't know where Moses is. So you, let's, let's, you know what? We need to you know, make a, a, a God that we can see and bow down to. Now, Aaron had an opportunity right here, right here. This is one of those moments where you come to that fork in the road, right? Where Aaron could have said, we're not going to do that. Didn't you just hear God say, don't make any statues and don't bow down to them? Those are the two things that you want to do right now. Or he could have said, well, there's a lot of you and there's only one of me. And I'm feeling like, you know, maybe you're going to overcome me. So, um, all right, go get the gold. What did he do? He got the gold. And he made a statue of a cow. And they put it up and they bowed down to it. And God was angry at Aaron because he had an opportunity to lead them back towards the awe of God. Instead, he led them away from God. Not only did he do that, he's a big fat liar as well. Because Moses will come to him and say, Aaron, dude, what were you thinking? And Aaron says, I don't know what happened. I had all this gold. They gave me all this gold. I just threw it into the fire and out popped this cow. That is what he says in Exodus. I threw all the gold in the fire and, just, I, and, and a cow popped out. Even at that moment, Aaron, he could have been like, get back in there, cow, get in the fire. But he took the cow out, they put it up on a rock, and they all started dancing around it in a crazy way. And not, ev not everybody, really, but we find that out later. But God was angry at Aaron, and Moses was now pleading also on Aaron's behalf. And then I took your sin... Verse 21, I took your sin, the calf which you made, and burned it in the fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. And he's being very kind here, but there was more to that story, if you recall. 
After he ground the golden cow into dust and threw it into the brook, he scooped up the water and he made everybody drink it. Right? Moses was making sure that when that gold came out the other end, no one was going to go and try and salvage that gold. Yeah, you know. No one's going to start digging through looking for gold dust at that point. Is that drastic? Does that sound like dread? Like, couldn't he just have like destroyed the statue? Couldn't he just broken it up and spread it out? Couldn't he have just have ground it into powder and let it go? Did he have to make him drink it too? That sounds pretty drastic, doesn't it? If you want to overcome your sin, it takes drastic action, doesn't it? It takes drastic action. If you just cannot set your phone down and your phone is taking priority in your life all the time, you need to take some drastic action. Take off all of the apps that you could use your computer for. If you're like, well, I use my phone for social media. Uh, Okay, but you could do that on your laptop. You could do that on your desktop. You don't need it on your phone, right? If you uh, get a flip phone, if... Yeah. They still have them. If you're like, well, I need my phone. I can't be without my phone. You get a flip phone. Uh, all I'm saying is if this is an issue for you, if you're just like, if you're walking around and it's, it's the first thing you look at, you walk around with it all the time, it's taking priority in your life. Having a phone isn't sinful. Using your phone isn't sinful. But if it takes the priority over everything in your life, you've got some issues and you have to drastically deal with that. All right, this, this is uncomfortable now. If you have a problem with online pornography, it's rampant, rampant, men and women in the church. If you have a problem with this, you need to take drastic steps, drastic steps. Get a flip phone. There's no way you're looking at pornography on a flip razor phone. If you're looking on your computer, get an app on your computer, get a filter on your computer. There's something that you could sign up for, a service on the website that says, if you even try to access a site that's inappropriate, your brother or sister in the Lord gets an email saying, oh, by the way, so-and-so is trying to get onto this site. Let me tell you what, that will keep you off of it. Accountability will keep you off of it. It's drastic, but it's necessary. What about you just binge watch TV to no end and, it, and you don't have any time for the word because you're watching Top Chef. You know, I got to see the end of it. Every single episode, if you can't turn your TV off, try this. Get a timer that plugs into your outlet. Set it for 6.30, 7 o'clock, and then plug your TV into that. Every night at 7 o'clock, that TV will turn right off. And then you'll have to actually crawl down underneath in order to turn. And so then there's some step in between you. These are drastic steps, but is drastic, are drastic steps necessary to overcome sin? Yes. Ground that thing up into powder, throw it into the river and drink it and, and ex- dispose of it. Drastic. See, Jesus would say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better that you go Uh, into heaven with one less eye, then let that thing cause your whole body to sin. It's drastic. Yes, it is drastic. But drastic measures are sometimes extremely necessary. Also, verse 22, also at um, Taberah, 
and Massa and Kibroth Hadavah. You provoked the Lord to wrath. Those are three, if you don't remember, those are three times within their lifetime that they all provoked God to wrath. At Tabra was the, okay, this one's very interesting. At Tabra, this was the first time, like remember when they're in, they're at the, the base of the mountain and God is saying, okay, I'm gonna give you everything that you need to know to build the tabernacle of worship, the house of God. It's a big tent. And if you remember, we went through that in, in Exodus. He gave them every single little detail, every hook and rope and post and, and pillar and, and literally every piece of it. And then he assigned different tribes. Okay, you guys are going to carry the canvases and you guys are going to carry all the hooks and you're going to carry all the silver parts and all the things that it takes to set to some ropes and, 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 and pulleys. And there are no pulleys, but you know, all, all the parts and all the things that go inside and the floors and, and all of that, he gave them all that stuff that they had to build and then do. And then not only that, they had to take it all down. Every time the pillar of cloud or fire moved, they had to disassemble the whole thing, pack it all up, and the specific tribes assigned to carry specific things had to pick up their part and go to wherever the cloud went until it stopped. And when it stopped, then they had to set it all down and reset the whole thing back up. And there were like a million pieces to this. And it says, at the first time, that he, uh, they had, the first time the cloud moved and it was time to move it, they tore down the whole thing. Everybody got their piece and they started walking. And after three days of walking around with all the parts and pieces, they started to complain. Man, I don't know what's going on. I mean, like six, I saw six other spots that we could have stopped along the way and set this thing back up. I don't know where this cloud is going. Three days, they started to complain. And you know what God did? It says there, he sent fire in to burn the outskirts of the camp. It's almost like he was saying, look, I'm just going to light a little fire underneath you to get going. Because, you know, at some point they're like carrying their thing and they're dragging along like, just all I have is a log and that guy's got like silver hooks and, and, and I don't know where we're going to stop. And I was like, we could have gone there. God, there's a good spot. And they're just dragging their feet along. And God says, you know what? I'm just going to, you know what? I'm going to light a little fire. And this is the fire burned on the outskirts of camp. And they were like, oh, gosh. And they started to call out to Moses. And, and God was like, okay, here we go. That's the first one he says there. Masa, you know what happened in Masa. They got out there and they're like, great. God has led us out here to kill us all because there's no water. So God says to Moses, all right, go and strike the rock. And Moses goes out and he strikes the rock and the water flows. And we looked at that huge rock that was split that's still there now. You can go and see um, and, uh, but it was, a, it was a time when God was like, okay, Moses, go and hit that rock and I'll provide all the water that they need for them and all their livestock. Kibroth Hadavah, this was shortly after Taborah, um, that they started to complain because remember, God was like, I'm going to provide for you manna. Manna every single morning. It's going to fall from the sky and you're going to go out and you're going to collect it. And this is going to be nourishment to you. And you're going to be able to enjoy this manna every single day and go out and collect what you need just for this one day. Because if you try and save it up, it's going to turn into wormy, moldy goo and, and just get what you need. I'm going to provide what you need for this one day so that tomorrow morning you have to get up and you have to do the same thing. And he's reminding them that whole time that I will provide for you, but you need to know that it's me that's providing for you. You need to rely on me for your provision. Well, it says after a, a while, they start complaining 
And they're like, oh, man, this is why I wrote it down, because they said, remember, remember the fish we ate freely back in Egypt? Remember the fish we ate freely uh, in between making bricks all day long and then at night going out and collecting all of our own straw under the whip of our slave masters? Remember the fish? We ate freely. I'm not sure when they were eating this fish, all this fish freely, but that's what they say they're remembering. Remember all the fish we ate, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Remember all we have is this wretched manna that God freely provides to us every single day that we don't have to raise. We just have to go out and collect, remember. And in that same passage, by the way, this is how they prepared the manna. Just in case you're wondering, it says they would take it, they would grind it up, they would cook it in oil, And it was like a pastry. The taste of it, it says, was like a pastry or a fine cake. What does that sound like to you? Donuts. It sounds like donuts to me. And they're like, all we have are donuts to eat. God, all he gives us is donuts and water. Every day, donuts and water. And I'm thinking, really? You'd rather have fish than donuts? I mean, maybe if I, you know what? Maybe we should try this. Maybe what we should do after Christmas, obviously. <laughs> Our New Year's resolution is that we're just going to have donuts for like a whole week. Let's just like every meal, just donuts. What do you think? As, who's with me? Donuts and water? Yes. We'll see how it goes. You see, God gave them a delicacy. Uh, they, he gave them provision. It wasn't just, it wasn't just like nasty oatmeal every single day. It was like delicious, tasty, like pastry, basically, for them to survive on. And still, still they were complaining. He reminds them of this. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go in and possess the land that I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. That's where they were. Remember, they got to the borderline of the Jordan River, and he was like, you need to go in. And they're like, no, we can't. It's scary. And so they didn't go in. They didn't heed the voice of the Lord, and they didn't go in. Look at verse 24. You have rebelled against the Lord from the day I knew you. (laughs) Moses, you know, maybe in this moment is rethinking that whole, you know, uh, a whole nation from me and all of them gone. From the day that I knew you. But he says, thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And see, now we see Moses, and what's he, what is he made out of? What's inside? What kind of teabag Moses is? He's saying, you know what? I wasn't the one that sinned. But I bowed myself down before God, and I pleaded for you. I pleaded for you. And therefore, I prayed to the Lord, and I said, Oh, Lord, God, do not destroy your people, in your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness. God says, Moses, go down and see what your people are up to. And now Moses is saying, God, they're your people. Nobody wants them. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants these. They're your people. No, they're your, you brought them out. No, you brought them out. Yeah, but you were walking along the ground in front of them. Yeah, but you split the sea back and forth whom you have brought out 
with a mighty hand, he says. When he says a mighty hand, in Hebrew, that means uh, steadfastly. You steadfastly brought out. When, when you use the word steadfastly, you mean not subject to change. That's what the literal translation of that is. He says, God, you brought them out because you love them. You've already told us that. You picked them. You invested, remember last week, you invested in them because you love them. They're not valuable. Uh, you didn't choose them because they're valuable. They're valuable because you invested in them. You love them. And he says, I'm just reminding you that you don't change, God. You don't change. Now, again, I don't really believe that, that God was sitting there going, oh, all right, you changed my mind. I think that God is saying, Moses, I need to get, I'm just, I'm working in you right now. I want to get you to a place where you understand that I don't change. Because remember, there's going to come a point, Moses, is coming up really soon, where you're going to have to face your own death, knowing that you did not get to go into the promised land. And in that moment, I need you to understand, because Moses, I've got a plan for you later on, as one of my final witnesses, by the way, and I need you to be fully bought into who I am, God says. And so I'm going to work on you and work on you right up until the end. Remember, he says in verse 27, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest, he la lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, the, uh, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. You see what's going on right here? Moses is saying, God, I want you to think about this for a minute. And again, you know, I think that God is just saying, come on, come on, come on. And Moses is pleading with God right now on behalf of the people, but his main concern is, God, I am expressing a deep concern for your glory and your honor, and your righteousness, and how that will be seen and perceived by all of the pagan nations around. Don't spare them because they are great, but because you are great. And everyone needs to see that. That is his main concern. Do you see that right here? He's saying, don't, don't think about their sin and their transgression. He goes, bring them into the land. Don't destroy them. Bring them in because we want everyone to see you for being the great and mighty and righteous God that you are. And God says, ah, now you have me in the proper place in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. He says, the only thing that really counts, God, is your glory and your reputation among the people. That's the only thing. Forsaking everything else. Now, I wish I could say that God said, Aaron, tell everybody that because you do it perfectly. But I don't do it perfectly. God reminded me, of an acronym, FAITH. Did you ever hear this before? FAITH. You know how to spell it? Forsaking all, I trust him. FAITH. Forsaking all, I trust him. So, where are you there? Are you in a place where you're forsaking all? 
What does it all mean to you in your life? What is it that you're saying, well, I trust God with this and this and this, but all this other stuff, I got this. Unfortunately, a lot of us are doing it as I started off with a lot of the anxiety and problems in our life. We're like, I can't give God this. I'll give him Sunday morning at a 10. You can have that. A few of you are saying, I'll give him Sunday night too because I'll go and pray also, but I need all that other stuff. There's one part that I want to go back to, gang. In verse 19, Moses said that he prostrated himself before the, before the Lord, and he, go, he talks about that, and he says, look at the very end of verse 19. But the Lord listened to me that time also. I see that Moses went and he pleaded on behalf of the people, and he says, God, you are great. Don't spare them because they're great, but because you are Lord, but spare them. And it says that God did it. He listened to him again that time. What a gift. I was standing in the back and I was thinking, oh man, Christmas is Saturday. I don't have a Christmas message today. Oh, what am I doing? I'm a bad pastor. And God says, you know what? But verse 19 is a gift, right? Verse 19 is a gift. He says that God heard and he answered with a gift of mercy and grace. They didn't deserve it. But he gave it to them. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, gift, oh my goodness. I mean, we exchange gifts at Christmas, but there is one gift that's amazing, and that was the gift of Jesus Christ that God gave to us. God heard us once again. And he gave us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. You understand, and we'll talk about this at Christmas Eve, but Jesus wasn't born into existence on Christmas. He's always existed. He arrived wrapped in the beautiful wrappings of an infant as a gift to us that each one of us has to receive from him. But, but it's a gift of a, a baby, but it's a gift of mercy. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift that is so amazing. And so many of you here, you've Receive that gift, and that's incredible. Some of you may not have. If you're watching online and you've not received the gift of salvation, the gift of Jesus Christ, you might be thinking, you know, I've heard this. I know I've heard it before, and I've heard about Jesus, and Chris, especially at Christmas time, and I see, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, and he's in the manger and all that stuff. But honestly, I'm just too far away from where God would want me to be. I'm too, I'm too far gone. Well, in Colossians says, <clears throat> and actually in Second Peter it says that the Lord is not willing that anyone should perish. The Lord is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. No, not me. I'm, I'm you know, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't even know what I'm involved in right now. Last night, later today, this week, you don't know. God can't mean me. Well, Paul would write in Colossians 4, you, you were far. You were his enemy, Paul writes. At one point, all of you, you were considered, you, you were an enemy of God in your mind, an enemy of God. It doesn't get farther away from God than saying, 
I'm, a, I'm an enemy of God. God must consider me an enemy. I'm an enemy of God. But Paul would write, it doesn't matter that even when you were an enemy of God, that he sent Jesus for you. You're never too far. That's the good news. He says, you, you were his enemy separated from him by your sin. But here's the good news. Now he has reconciled. He has made it possible for you to come to him through Jesus. When you hear people talking about Jesus, the reason for the season, he's talking about God making a way for you to be reconciled to him through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you have that today, victory. If you don't have that today, you can. You don't even have to wait for Saturday. You can have it right now. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you, all of us. All of this body is all going to pray for anybody that's here or anybody that's watching online that you would say, you know what? I, I, I don't care about any other gift I get. I need to accept this gift this season. So I want you to pray. So everybody bow your heads down. I want you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Pray, Father God, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus died on the cross for my sake and has risen from the dead. Lord, I receive your word and I repent of my sins. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the new birth cleansed and washed in the precious blood of Jesus. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's like if you prayed that right now and you believe in your heart that you've repented of your sins and you've received Jesus Christ, it's like you're a kid on, sun, on, on Christmas morning you just ripped open the paper on the thing that you were just so needing. Not the drone, the underwear. That's what you, the thing you needed. Socks. If you prayed that this morning, and you receive Jesus as your if, Savior, if you receive that gift, that's amazing. And if you did that uh, today here, and you're here, while we sing this last song today, I want you to come up. I want you to come over there, and I want you to tell me. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to stand there like this. <laughs> I'm going to be ready to hug you in and say, welcome to the family of Christ. I, and, and I want you to come up, and I want you to tell me that this morning and know that you just uh, received the greatest gift that has ever been offered to you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this morning and for this word and for your, uh, uh, for your gift of Jesus. Uh, I, uh, Lord, I pray that we would never lose the awe of God. Lord, never take for granted the miracles that we see every day, the sunrise and the sunset, Lord. The tides coming in and out, Lord. The birth of a baby. What? Lord, I pray that we would remember and not forget the ways of the Lord, the ways that you've given us so that it might be well with us, Lord, so that we might not drift away. I thank you, Lord, for anybody that, that prayed that prayer today, either here or online. Lord, I thank you for the uh, gift of mercy that you made available, Lord, that you heard us once again. I pray for anybody who, uh, Lord, didn't, pray that prayer or accept you today, but need to, Lord, and are feeling unsure about it. Lord, help them to know we're not a cult. 
We're not trying to steal their bank account or, or make them do anything weird or strange. Lord, we simply are acting as the hands and feet of Jesus, trying to welcome them into the family, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this season as we prepare for Christmas, Christmas Eve this week and Christmas, Lord. I pray for healing for those who I know are home and sick right now. Lord, I pray for uh, just an incredible year to come. Lord, I know you've got something planned. I wish I knew what it was, Lord, but I will trust in you, forsaking all. I trust him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.